The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to Messages of Hope. For those of you who've listened for quite a while, you know that that it's always uplifting, even when we talk about heavy subjects. And today we're going to be talking about heavy subjects again, but with an eye towards how to lighten them somewhat as much as possible. This show is about helping you to know that life is not all there is and that love, like life, is eternal and that we're never alone. Sometimes when we get mired in our humanness, we can lose sight of that. Today, we're going to talk about how to deal with the transitional periods that all of us go through in our lives. They can be really stressful if we lose sight of the big picture. My guest today is Ellen Debenport, Reverend Ellen Debenport of Unity. She is the perfect person to talk to us about this, and let me tell you why. Ellen's first career was in journalism. She worked as a reporter for UPI, that's United Press International, then as a political editor for the Tampa Bay Times. She was posted in Washington, D.C., and that's when she began to feel a call to deeper spiritual exploration. Washington can do that to you, you know. (laughs) She was ordained by Unity Worldwide Ministries in 1999 and served as a minister. How's that for a switch from political reporter to minister? She started out at the thousand-member Unity of Dallas Church. I've spoken there, a beautiful church. Then she took a year off to write, and I have to tell you, that That was a blessing to all of us because Ellen is an amazing writer, as I hope all of you will discover. Then in 2009, she became minister at Unity of Wimberley in Texas, which is where I met her. In the summer of 2017, she took over as vice president of content and media strategy for Unity World Headquarters near Kansas City, Missouri. In fact, I had the pleasure of seeing Ellen when I stopped by there at Unity Village to check it out for my upcoming retreat next year, and it was just wonderful to see her again. Her job has her overseeing Daily Word and Unity Magazine, Unity Media Network. So pretty much this is her radio network, so I better not screw this up today. (laughs) Ellen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's a pleasure. I... um, 
I was mentioning there just a second ago that I met you when I went to speak at Unity of Wimberley, and I just love that little town. I loved your church. We had a, a full house crowd, and everybody was just so happy and so friendly, and I know that's part of it. Always it goes with the leadership of the church. Then I discovered your blog, and you still have that on your website. I found out what a great writer you are. You you put spiritual topics and just life in general into into just such a way that we can see things from a different angle. So today we're going to be talking about your book that's called Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door, about transitional periods. And for those of you listening, you know, just because we we are spiritual and we know who we are doesn't mean we don't sometimes get mired in our humanness. And that's exactly what happened to me this past August. My mother was in hospice, as those of you who listen to the show regularly know, and she just lingered and lingered and lingered. And so we knew that she was really close to transitioning, but my gosh, she hung on so long and it it became very challenging. And I really lost my balance for about 24 hours there. And I just found myself unable to connect with my team and spirit. And I had been emailing about uh, Unity business with Ellen at that time. And, and in my angst and my unsettledness, I needed to reach out to someone. And it was Ellen I reached out to. And I made a call and I said, your book, Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. What are the points there? Help me out here because I'm in that hallway waiting for my mom to pass. And in just a short conversation, she brought me back to that place of peace. And that's our goal today. Ellen, that's a long intro, but I want people to know that you and your wisdom, your book are just so helpful. So why don't we begin by you telling us, what is this hallway? (laughs) The hallway is when one door has closed and the next one has not yet opened. And we're in it over and over and over in our lives. And what would be the kind of situations when we'd be in a hallway? Oh, so for instance, uh, you're in the hallway when someone has died. You're in the hallway just after a divorce or when you've lost your job. Some people file for bankruptcy. It's whenever life as you know it has ended and you don't know what's coming next. It's that period of uncertainty uh, during a major change. And there are lots of examples of it. Sometimes the door creaks shut. You know it's coming for a long time, like you did with your mother's death. You knew for a long time that that would be happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, An empty nest. When you know it's coming, I have one friend who went through about two years of grieving for when her son would graduate from high school and leave. And the anticipation was actually worse than when he left, but she was in the hallway before he left and then again afterwards adjusting to it, uh, waiting for medical tests, waiting to see if you've gotten into the school you want, waiting to see if you get the promotion or you're on the layoff list. All of those are hallways, and some of them are a lot of fun. A new city, a new baby, a new job. Even when it's fun, it's a period of change and uncertainty. And then the other category of hallways, I guess, is inner hallways. In unity, we call it divine restlessness or divine discontent. It's when you know you're not quite aligned with your soul's purpose. And it may take some time to realize what that is clearly enough that a door can open. Does that make sense? 
Oh, it does. I, I meet so many people, and, and I think it was Wayne Dyer who said the number one question that people on the spiritual path ask is, what is my purpose? Mm-hmm. And we, we certainly do have one, and it's that unsettled feeling, I, I suppose, that lets us know that we need to find it. Right. So if you think of going through change as a hallway, then it naturally falls into three parts. First, you realize you're in the hallway, then you move through it, and then you get out. Most people just want to get out, and that's actually not the first thing to work on. Hmm. So you're saying we need to stay in that hallway? I'm saying as long as you're (laughs) in it, there are some useful things you can be doing. We can talk about that. Oh, I'm sure we will. Um, Yeah, you so many transitional periods. In fact, the reason that I called you is because I didn't have my book with me on our on our trip around the country when I was going through that that period. And I had loaned it to my sister at the time she was going through a divorce and a move Mm -hmm. and a new job, all of those major life stressors. And I know it was very helpful to her. But how did you come to write the book? (laughs) I first heard the the basic quote, when one door closes, another one opens, but it can be hell in the hallway. I heard it from my mother, who had heard it from a conference speaker somewhere. And when I was still in seminary, and I was scheduled to give a, a Sunday talk, and I was looking for a topic, she said, why don't you talk about hell in the hallway? So I did. I put together a talk about it. And I was astonished at the reaction afterwards, hmm. just because it gave people a visual image of where they are when they're in transition. And they were all flocking around me saying, oh, I've got to send this to my daughter. I've got to send this, you know, my husband needs to hear this. He lost his job. He's in a hallway. And I thought, huh, there's something here. So I kept working with it, and it became my signature talk for when I was in different churches and was my tryout talk when I got the job in Dallas. And Over time, people started saying, this should be a book. This should be a book. Mm -hmm. It took about 15 years to actually become a book. And it's just as well it took that long because I learned a whole lot more about it during Mm. that time. It's a better book than it would have been if I'd written it the first year. Well, I just love the image of a hallway because it gives us hope, just like the show Messages of Hope, that, that we have that visual of a door closed behind us but that the next door doesn't always immediately open. Right. So it gives us something to look forward to, but yet at the same time to honor where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I were talking before the show started that initially you had the title simply Hell in the Hallway. You want to continue and share with everybody what it was that we talked about? <laughs> I, for years, I just called it Hell in the Hallway. And when I started trying to get the book out I had an agent actually who said you can't use that title it's too much of a downer and I said no that's the title I mean it's part of my soul's purpose to write a book called hell in the hallway so we compromised on hell in the hallway comma light at the door because they said you have to sound a note of hope and I didn't like it at the time but in hindsight I'm so glad they recommended it because The whole point of looking at it as a hallway is to find the next door, is to see that crack of light coming under the next door. So they made me do it, but it was just as well. Exactly. And and the 
the cover photo for the book has this beautiful door that's open and the light shining from behind it. And that's how I visualize when we're in between two stages in our lives. So the question is, does it have to be hell, that transitional period? Of course not. But we talk a lot in unity about how we create our own hell with our thoughts. So a lot of it will do have to do with your thinking and your attitude. I mean, I mean we know that the way we think about something creates our experience of it. I mean, you gave the perfect example of it there with that mother. Two full years of anticipating her son just going off to school. What When we can see that from the higher viewpoint, you think, what a... What a shame. To, it's really a, a missed opportunity to, to have higher thoughts during that time period. Yeah, and she says now she, she kind of ruined those last two years because she was so dreading his leaving. But that's how we create hell with our thoughts. Okay. So what about the different circumstances? I mean, there's some, some periods that really are like hell. Death is different from uh, divorce. It, it all depends on the thoughts, though, doesn't it? It does. And the, the interesting thing I discovered with this is that at the human level, the circumstances do make a difference. You'll, you'll handle the period of time after a death differently than you might after a divorce or if you've lost your job or some other hallway experience. But the spiritual work in the hallway is the same for all of them. And that, that's what I learned about this. Well, that just leads that you just opened that door there to that whole conversation, <laughs> didn't you? So, so, and let's just really dive into this then. This, what is the spiritual process of the hallway? This is the meat of the book, isn't it? It is, and there are four basic. They're not exactly steps because they won't be linear, but mm. they are things that you'll end up doing in the hallway if you go through it in a healthy and conscious way. And the first is simply acceptance. It's, you know, you look away from the closed door and say, huh, okay, well, I'm in the hallway now. And it's easy to get into a bad place right away, feeling like a victim, uh, wondering what purpose this could possibly be serving. It might feel like a slap in the face. It might be something that happened more slowly, but eventually it dawns on you that there's no going back. The relationship really is over. This person really did die. Uh, they really did fire me from that job. Accepting it doesn't mean you'll stay there forever. You're on a journey through a hallway, through that uncertainty, and it will eventually end. This is also the place, and your listeners probably know a lot about grief, because the hallway is initially about loss of some kind. So there may be grief involved in it. Um, I remember hearing Mirabai Starr on a different show on this network, she was talking about when her teenage daughter was killed in an accident. And she said to the daughter's spirit, I will honor you by not turning away from this fire of grief. Wow. And we don't, we don't hear enough in New Thought to feel your feelings, that sometimes it's going to feel like hell. And it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong, and it doesn't mean you'll attract bad things. Just feel the feel. Feelings just want to be felt. And then they can move on. They're sort of like children clamoring for attention. You know, you talk about, you know, acceptance. The very first image that 
comes to my mind when you say that is we want to be like a little kid and just get down on the floor on our back and like a bug with our feet and hands in the air and just <laughs> kick and scream and say, but I don't want to be here. And it's okay to do that. It won't last forever. That's the whole point, isn't it? That, that everything is flowing, flowing. But when we, when we kick and scream and say, no, we, we put up this wall that doesn't allow it to flow. Well, and then we judge ourselves for having the feelings. You know, I shouldn't be on the floor kicking and screaming. I'm too spiritual for that. And so I preach a lot that we are not here to avoid the human experience. And it seems to include a lot of drama and emotion for many people. And yes, we want to think positive. And yes, we want to end up in a more transcendent place. But I think we may have to go through the feelings instead of around them. We call that a spiritual bypass when we're just trying not to feel anything negative. Well, talk, would you talk a little bit about drama, though? Does it, is, what is your view on the drama? You know, where do we cross the line from feeling your feelings into drama? Yeah. It may be different for different people. And I'm surprised by the number of people who've said to me that they're afraid they're wallowing. They're afraid it's self-pity. And somewhere in there is a balance of feeling what's normal to feel. If someone has died, you'll, you'll be sad. Um, if your spouse walked out, you may be angry or feel victimized. And I think that's part of being human. And where it becomes wallowing or self-pity or drama um, is, is, first of all, probably up to the individual, different for different people. And so what if it does for a while? You know, so maybe I stayed in that negative place a couple of weeks or months longer than I should have or could have. Eh, you know, in the scheme, great scheme of a lifetime, I just, I, mean, I want people to lighten up on themselves. One of the women who read this book said, I appreciate it that it just gives me permission to feel bad for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you did for me in the phone call, you know, <laughs> when I called you, when my mom was passing. It was like, hey, this is normal. It's okay to feel this way. And yeah. it just, it just lets you breathe for a few minutes. So I like that, finding the balance between what's normal and then the drama, which you even even in your answer, you you didn't give any intimation that drama is wrong. Just to be on the alert for it is what I took away from that. Right. Yeah. So you talked about the first phase or step or one of the parts. How about that? Of being in the hallways, dealing with it is acceptance. Mm -hmm. Let me let me just stop again. If anybody came in late, we're talking with Reverend Ellen Devonport. She's the author of Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. We're talking about how to deal with those transitional stages. Is that what you call it? Is that what you, how you would refer to it, Ellen? Yeah. I, I tell people it's about the spiritual path through change and transition. Okay. All right. So we have acceptance. What else helps us get through the hallway? Um, surrender is one of the steps. And it took me a while to see a difference in acceptance and surrender. Yeah. And I don't know that everyone would agree with this. This is not official unity or anything. But I think acceptance is something we do mentally. It's when we acknowledge, okay, this is where I am now. These are the circumstances now. And surrender is spiritual. It's when we realize we're not alone and start to look wow. for the good that might be here for me. 
Now, a lot of people equate surrender with hitting bottom. And there are lots of stories in the book about people who finally surrendered to their circumstances, you know, when they were on the floor crying. There was some drama involved. Uh, and some of them were on the floor crying and then were suddenly flooded by peace. <laughs> it's let go and let God. Uh, it, surrender isn't the same as doing nothing. I think it's maybe getting out of the way so that your higher self can emerge and remind you there's there's more to this experience for you. Something is trying to emerge through this or from you. Expressing spirit in your human form will be part of this process. So there's a lot to do in the hallway. I, I, I'm picturing so many people who claim to be atheists or to have no spiritual belief at all. And then when you get into these tough situations, so many people just naturally look upward, reach mm -hmm. their arms right. upward and say, help me, I can't handle this. So that I know there's just an innate, innate magnetic pull within us to find that place that space where we can hear and feel the presence of help. Because our pain is in the resistance. It's in the belief that things should not be this way. And as long as we're stuck there, things ought to be different. That's how we create our own hell. So maybe surrender is giving up the belief that things should be different than they are. Wow. Do you have another story from the book about how somebody use that or were there any periods examples of grace in the book there are lots of them and i wish i'd brought the book with me <laughs> over here to the <laughs> studio um but it it surprises me how often that surrender or that sense of grace is sudden and and seems to happen um, outside our own volition mm -hmm. and just, you know, suddenly when you're in your worst moments, uh, being overcome with a, a sense of the presence or feeling the divine within you. Uh, I think in 12-step programs, they call it hitting bottom. Mm -hmm. It's kind of when things, you feel like things can't get any worse. And maybe that's when we get out of the way. It's when, okay, I there's nothing else I can do here. So what now? And then spirit or whatever you believe might be bigger than you are can step in and start to guide you. And and we're talking now then about you know the the worst moments, the dark night of the soul. But it but the hallway doesn't have to be like you said. It doesn't have to be that dark, right? It doesn't. And again, it'll be the way we think about it. I just don't want anyone to immediately jump to I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm thinking positive. If they need to go through some grief for a while. Okay. So we talked about acceptance and surrender. These now you said they're not really stages. What is it that we're calling these ways it ways of handling being in the hallway or ways of getting through it? Well, maybe they are stages and not steps. Okay. Then you don't do them one at a time. It's, this is sort of all going on at the same time and in different order for different people. Okay, so what would be the third one? Well, forgiveness. I can hear the listeners groaning. It always comes down to forgiveness. 
but that is some profound spiritual work. And the thing is, once you're in the hallway, nearly everybody has someone to blame. Uh, it's, it's, as you know, it's possible to be angry at someone for dying. It's mm. certainly possible to be angry at someone who left a relationship or the boss who fired you or the doctor who missed a diagnosis uh, or the minister who said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Anger can be a part of grief. And so if you didn't have anything to forgive before, during the grief process, you may end up being angry about something. And just know that that's normal, too. One of the things I learned in seminary, Unity's ministerial school, mm-hmm. is that we only have to forgive what we have judged to be wrong in the first place, hmm. which is which sounds great and is really hard to do. But if you aren't judging people or circumstances to be wrong, then you don't end up having to forgive them. But the most difficult version of forgiveness, I guess, is self-forgiveness. Yeah, I see that a lot when I do readings. It, it just A loved one comes through from the other side and they bring up a subject and ooh, it all just comes to the surface. Right. And do, do they feel guilty about maybe they participated in the death somehow or they regret what the, the last thing they said to that person. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? So that's all about self-forgiveness, I think. And having listened to you, I know that the person who's now on the other side is saying, forget about it. It's all <laughs> fine. That's absolutely correct. And it sounds so light and so easy, but that is the truth. Mm-hmm. And one thing I love about your readings is that the the people on the other side are giving so much permission to give up the guilt, uh, get through the grief, go on with your life. They want you to be happy, and they want you to know they're right there with you. Yeah, I have this library of symbols that the spirits all, they speak to me almost in charades. And, and one of the most common ones that I see when there is a forgiveness issue is I see these hands held up to the eyes and they're, the hands just open wide, palms facing out. And that to me is the symbol of I got over here across the veil once I passed and my eyes have been opened to what really matters mm-hmm. and to to how I contributed to our issues and to the fact that I didn't say I love you or I didn't forgive you or or what you did was okay. It's that eyes opened. If we could have that here, we wouldn't have to deal with these issues. And don't you talk to a lot of people on the other side who are apologetic? Oh, my goodness. That's my other common symbol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see a head hanging down and I say, well, we have an apology here. And then I just ask the spirit, what is it specifically you're apologizing for? And boy, there's so many. Yeah. And it must be very healing for the person well, who's still in human form to hear that the other one is aware of what happened and knows that it hurt and is sorry for it. Exactly. Which, which is why I try my best to teach people as often as possible don't wait until you have to find a medium from the other side <laughs> to to clear up the issues between you and your loved one. I'm going to have to ask our engineers how much time we have next before the break because I didn't look at my timer when we started. I think we're at the break. I started my we're timer. Break. Okay, well, please be sure and come back with us, folks. We'll continue this discussion about how to get through those transitional periods with Reverend Ellen Devonport.
You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. I heard from a young lady who was just starting out as a Unity minister, and she said, I am not teaching prosperity yet in my ministry because I have not yet demonstrated it in my own life. And I don't think I should teach what I have not demonstrated. And I wrote her back and said, Honey, you've got it all backwards. You need to teach what you want to learn. You teach what you want to demonstrate because you cannot demonstrate what you do not know. There must be an inworking before there can be an outworking. To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher, who is loved by so many people, left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click shop. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. If you have struggled with low self-esteem and body acceptance, it's time to experience radical self-love with Dr. Ramdesh and the Body Temple. Every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central, Ramdesh guides you to live a more empowered life. Gain a deeper love and acceptance of yourself through yoga and meditation techniques. Listen in as fascinating guests join the show to share their wisdom and help you on your spiritual journey. Join the show with your question or comment here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. So welcome back, everybody. Today we're talking to Reverend Ellen Debenport, who is an expert on how to deal with transitional periods in our life. She calls it the hallway when one door closes, but another one opens. Her book is called Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. 
very uplifting because it gives us hope, the subject of this show, that that light continues to shine and that these transitional periods, while they may seem dark at times, do lead to breakthroughs for many of us. Ellen, we were talking about four phases that one goes through in the hallway, not necessarily in order. You want to recap the first three and then continue with the fourth? Phases, that's a good word for it. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was trying to make the point they're not linear steps that you take. Although, it may need to start with acceptance. That's the first one. Uh, Acknowledging this is where I am now. This has really happened. My life is going to be different from here on out. Oh, that's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. We don't like to change human beings. We don't like it at all. (laughs) And and yet, we talk about transformation and making yourself a better person. But then when it actually comes to change, it's a little hard. Uh, So acceptance is is one of the phases. Surrender is another one. And to me, the difference is that acceptance is more mental and surrender is more spiritual. For me, surrender means recognizing uh, something greater than I am, some presence or power in my life that can guide me through this. Call it the higher self, a higher power. I'm a minister. I have no problem with the word God. I know it makes some people's knees jerk. And so surrender is is when we get out of the way and allow grace into our lives. Uh, And sometimes we can do that consciously and deliberately, and sometimes I think it just overcomes us in a really peaceful and loving way. And then the other one was forgiveness. When you're in the hallway... Regardless of the circumstances, there's probably someone to forgive. Some people are angry at God, and it's okay to shake your fist at God. God can take it. It's, and it may be part of your process to reevaluate what kind of faith you have and what you think God is. Uh, some people spend a lot of time forgiving the church of their childhood, for the things that it taught them that they no longer believe are true and that they feel that a lot. held them back. Okay. I bet you do. Yeah. So those were the three, acceptance, surrender, and forgiveness. All right. And then the fourth thing we can do when in the hallway? The fourth one is prayer. And here again, you don't have to be a big believer to practice prayer in some form. You know, we were talking about how we create our own hell in the hallway with our thoughts, with the way that we choose to view this experience. And we know that's true about any any little thing in life. For example, uh, you go to dinner with someone and one person says, boy, that waiter is really in a bad mood today. Did you notice how surly he was? Mm -hmm. And the other one says, no, I thought he was fine. So... Our thoughts create our experience, and it's different for different people. And it's important to keep that in mind, that thoughts are prayers. Thoughts, well, prayers are focused thought. And Mm -hmm. no one is really sure how or why they work. I think they are somehow moving energy. So I say prayer is focused thought that moves energy. They're always filled with intention. Right. They bring our desires to the to the forefront and then we and we send them out there mm-hmm. heartfelt heartfelt prayers no wonder they work 
And what I like are the really simple prayers, like, how can I see this differently? Or show me the good works really well in the hallway. Show me the good. Uh, there was one man I interviewed for the book who had been through two rounds of chemotherapy and uh, had some permanent effects just from the treatment. And he was back in the hospital, and I was his minister, so I went to visit him. And he wanted to pray with me, and he wanted to lead the prayer. And, oh, nice. Yeah. And he started the prayer by saying, what a joy it is to be here. And I knew that he couldn't stand up that day. He couldn't get out of the bed. But he was focusing on the joy. Wow. He was creating an experience of joy, of of being alive, of being with me, of being here for another day. So there are lots of simple prayers that work in the hallway. One of one of the ones I've used for a long time is reveal what needs to be revealed and heal what needs to be healed. Oh, boy. That's, that's, a, that's a very brave prayer because you don't know what's going to show up. <laughs> yeah, be careful what you ask for. But then once it does show up, be willing to look at it. Right. <laughs> and that's also a prayer to use when you're about ready to move on from the hallway, when you're ready to face the next part of your life and figure out what it's going to be, reveal what needs to be revealed and heal what needs to be healed. And then I, I, learned, I learned another little prayer from Janet Connor, who is also a radio host on this network. She has a show called The Soul Directed Life. Yeah. And she created this prayer when her son was in prison. She'll tell you the story about her son. He was put in jail because he refused to testify to a grand jury and oh, wow. was there for months. And she didn't know how to pray about that. So she came up with what we now call the perfect prayer. It is the divine in me, through me, and as me blesses, fill in the blank, in her case it was her son's name, blesses this person, blesses this situation, mm-hmm. honors their soul's divinely appointed mission, and showers them with grace. I love that prayer because it covers it all. It's not asking for anything. In unity, we call this affirmative prayer. Right. We are saying the good is already here. Each soul is on a path that we can't know. We have all kinds of judgments about what's good or bad for other people. We don't know what their souls are up to here. So all we can really ask for is grace for them as they go through this experience. Yeah, and growth for ourselves was because... I'm sure that you have many, many examples of how these transitional periods often turn out to be our greatest gifts from the growth that ensues from them. Yes, I particularly hear that from cancer patients who say later, I wouldn't wish this on anybody else, but I would not trade the spiritual growth it has brought me. I hear that often, too. And it's just if people could, you know, if we just plant that seed in the mind of people as they just suddenly get that diagnosis, you can't believe it at the time, but it just does plant that seed of hope. Hmm. Right. And you've heard people say cancer was a friend. Heart attack is the best thing that ever happened to me. Getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me. So if we can remember in that early period, 
okay, this could this could be in my life for me. It's something happening for me instead of to me. That shifts right. the outlook, and that helps us not create hell in the hallway. And let's apply what I know for sure, that all of you listening have spirit guides. I have no doubt of this. And they're just waiting to be called upon. Many times they won't jump in unless we ask for their help. Kind of like, you know, if you have a little toddler who's learning to walk and you step back and let them stumble a few times until they finally raise their hands and say, help me, please, and then they'll you'll step in. It's the same with your guides. So when you get to this place where you can't see the potential gift of being in this hallway, the transitional period, sit quietly, tune into your heart, and ask, if I have guides, can you help me, please? Mm-hmm. And, and we have Jesus saying, ask and it is given. Is there some sort of celestial rule that they have to be asked, they have to be given permission to intervene? (laughs) You might call it a rule. It's just this is the way that I've seen it. But do know that they do step in when we really go astray or when we really need just that little nudge to get back on track, just like a parent that wouldn't let you get get in too much trouble. They know when to stand back and when to jump in. Yeah, it's good to know they're there. Absolutely. And and just by asking, you know, how do I get through this? What is the gift in this? Ask the question and be quiet. And you may not get an answer right away, but always, always, things start to reveal themselves. And many times we just think it's because we ask the question we suddenly know, but we know because higher consciousness is putting these insights into our mind. Mm -hmm. And I I would call those questions prayers, but you don't have to. Exactly. Prayer is is talking to to God or to higher consciousness, which includes your guides or your own higher self in my uh, experience. Right. So, Ellen, Reverend Ellen Davenport, author of Hell in the Hallway, Light at the Door. And by the way, I haven't given your 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 uh, web address yet, but it's Ellen Davenport dot com, which is D-E-B-E-N-P-O-R-T. You got to check it out. Ellen, you haven't been blogging for a while. Is that because your new duties at Unity Village keep you busy? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> I intended oh. to blog after I got here, and I still plan to get back to it sometime, but it's been a little over a year. That oh, I, I know. I, I looked, and blogged. the latest post is 2017. I'm like, Ellen, you've got to get busy. I love your writing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know my assistant... Bev, every once in a while, if if I didn't see it first, she'd she'd send it out to me. Look at look at Ellen's latest blog, and then she shares it with friends. It, really, it's that good. But if you all are listening, her blog is on her website, ellendevenport.com, and the the archives are just as good as if you'd written them today. So check it out, everybody. So Ellen and Ellen, please find time. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. All right. So how can we make the hallway not hell? Not hell. Um, It's all in how you think about it. And if you can think about it as a period of spiritual growth, as something that is happening for you and not to you, uh, Mm -hmm. start looking for the good, start looking for the gifts. And this is really tough, especially around death, because I'm not trying to say, oh, your loved one died in order, you know, that you should have this good. 
Right. I, I'm. You can be sad about it. You can wish it had never happened and things were back the way they were. But since they're not, you can start looking for the good that this might bring. And I, I believe we live in a friendly universe that can redeem any situation. I'm going to stop you right there, Ellen, because don't you think that people who feel that way see that? But if our thoughts go the other way, we only see the bad in the universe. Sure. You can find evidence to support whatever you already believe. Yeah. So, folks, if you find you're always hitting a wall or life is terrible and life is not good and it's a it's a bad and dangerous, fearful place, Please start looking at your own thoughts. The two of us here have experienced the the, the opposite of that, and it, and it truly is from our thoughts. We all go through the same hallways, just in different from different viewpoints. And, it, and that doesn't mean you have to get all cheerful all of a sudden, if you're not. Right. Um, but, yeah, I... You know, I I just never want to tell people not to feel what they feel, mm-hmm. but there are other ways to look at it. And so you don't have to get cheerful all of a sudden if you can get curious. Curious. I love that. That's perfect because I don't want to sound all Pollyanna. Right. I just know that there are alternate ways of looking at things. So that curiosity is the question, well, how else might I look at this? And little by little, just change the angle of the lens. Mm-hmm. And could there possibly be any good here? And and we see it even in the news, you know, when something awful has happened. We see the awful thing that happened, but we also see the first responders and, you know, the makeshift memorials and all the ways that people come to help and express love. It's So both things are always in every situation. It just depends on our outlook. Yeah. So how do we get stuck sometimes in the hallway? Um... Some people start to identify themselves with the story of whatever put them in the hallway. Um, For instance, someone who identifies herself as a widow and her whole life now is that her husband has died and she's alone. And that's, you know, that's a huge hallway and a major transition in life. But it's not all of who you are. So people can get stuck in their stories. And, and there's some reasons for that. They may get a lot of sympathy and attention for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I worry sometimes about people who go on the speaking circuit to tell their story. Because, uh, you know, does it keep them from growing past it? Uh, most of the ones I've heard continue to learn new things. But it's something to watch for. If you hear yourself telling the same story of what happened over and over and over that can get you stuck in the hallway i just saw that the other day with with someone who had injured themselves and and every every person they met they mentioned this injury and and there's no doubt that feels good to have sympathy and i know when my mom passed you tell people that it feels it feels good to know that you're not alone Mm -hmm. yeah but one of the things that's helped me a lot is to think of life like a movie and I don't think they use reels anymore, but they used to. <laughs> and, and it was just a series of frames of still shots moving so fast that you saw the action. 
And so the different frames are may not all be pretty. And sometimes the movie can get stop on a frame that's not so pretty. So let it keep rolling. Let it keep flowing. Um, and remember that the ugly and sad moments are just moments. Or think of it as scenery passing by on a train. Uh, some of it may be pretty bleak. And then some of it will be spectacular. So what, wherever you are, you're on your way to something else, right? Exactly. Always moving, always changing. I'm still kind of stunned by just one phrase you said just earlier, you know, we don't want to change my life. You know, I don't want my life to be any different. And yet just about anybody who's listening to this show wants that spiritual transformation. Exactly. I never realized <laughs> that the irony there. Yes. Uh, wow. Right. So we want, and I think it's okay to affirm transformation with ease and grace. I knew one minister who used to say, all my life lessons will be easy and fun. Hmm. And I don't know if that's turned out to be the case, but <laughs> that's what she was affirming. Well, nothing wrong with affirmations, as long as we don't deny the fact that some things aren't exactly easy and fun. No way. So I wanted to talk with you about getting out of the hallway, because mm -hmm. I, I have some questions for you. For me? For you, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh-oh. So when people say, okay, so I, you know, I've done all the forgiveness and surrender and all of that, how do I actually get out of here? My answer, uh, and this is a unity perspective, would be you'll create your way out of it. You're creating your life, you are attracting to you whatever you focus on, and so start focusing on what you want. Start creating with your thoughts the life you would like to have next. But my question for you is that having talked to so many dead people, do you think that's how it works? In hindsight for them, were their thoughts creating their experience? Oh, let me see. Yeah, it's it's no different. We, we You reap what you sow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. They've affirmed that for me. Absolutely, our thoughts create our experience. It's one of Unity's basic teachings, so I wanted to see if you think it's right. Um, oh yes, and and you know the spirits come through, and they and that's why they say my eyes were open that that my vision was too limited when I was here. I didn't, I I created something too limited for myself. Mm -hmm. That's a biggie. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are some questions that we torture ourselves with? when we're in these transitional periods. Oh, gosh. Uh, the hallway is such a ripe time for self-recrimination. Um, how did I get here? I should have known better. I should have taken better care of my health. I should have balanced my checking account of whatever it is. It's so easy to blame ourselves. And, or even if if it's because someone else died, I should have been there for them, I should have been nicer to them, or my husband walked out because I was uh, mean to him. That's, we tor that's how we create hell. We torture ourselves. Yeah. So how do we stop that? Again, is it just all awareness? Yeah, just stop that. <laughs> <We're doing laughs> you that. have to notice you're doing it. Yeah. You do have to notice you're doing it. I think it's helpful to give your good friends or family that you trust permission to call you on that. Ooh, that's good. And to say, look, I don't want to 
be in victim consciousness. So if you hear me uh, blaming others, or if you hear me in self-pity, I give you permission to gently remind me that's not where I wanted to go. Oh, that is really good. That's really good. I remember I have a dear friend, and when I, you know, first had my books and I was talking to people, I, I assigned her as my ego checker. <laughs> <laughs> I said, if you ever see me acting, you know, obnoxious or anything, you let me know. But this one is really good for all of us to say, you know, if I'm wallowing or I need just a, that. It's so easy for friends to say only what we think they want us to hear, mm-hmm. but that's a true friend that would point out when we might need some help. Or who would say, uh, it's time to turn the page now. I've heard this story five or six times. And so, you know, what are you going to do differently now? Nice. Yeah, well, it, it might make them mad at the time, but just little, you know, you can be a good friend to someone who's in the hallway. And there are a couple of kinds of friends. There are the friends who hold your hand and give you sympathy. And then there are the friends who sort of nudge you to move on. It could be the same person at different times. For me, it's pretty much been different people. So I have friends I won't call if they're the nudge you to go on friends, because I want someone I can vent to and who will say, you're right. Those people Mm -hmm. are terrible. (laughs) You know, um, you have every reason to be upset about this. And then I call the others when I say, okay. Where do I go from here? What should I do about this? Yeah, I have a friend that when I was, uh, you know, just a few days after my mother passed, she she said to me on the phone, well, you are human, you know. Mm -hmm. And just the way she said it, I just kind of bristled a little. And this is one thing I've learned that I I love passing on to people, that when we get defensive, there's a lesson there for us. Ooh, when I get defensive, it's usually because I'm afraid I'm wrong. Hmm that if this person criticizing me has a point. Hmm. Well, always a lesson. Yeah. So we have just a few minutes left talking about hell in the hallway, those transitional periods that we all go through when one door closes and another one opens. If we were making a list and you say, let the door close, feel your feelings, you know, what, what goes on the list of things to do when you're in the hallway? Um, yeah. So there are four things we talked about. Acceptance, surrender, forgiveness, and prayer. Those are things you can, you can actively do when you're in the hallway. But I'm thinking back over the show, the main one seems to be stay conscious, stay aware of your thoughts. Yes. Uh, Don't torture yourself with questions about what could have, should have been. And let go of believing that things should be different. Um, It's not necessarily victim consciousness. It's just resistance. The pain is in the resistance. You know, thinking back about what we've talked about for this whole hour, it's almost exhausting because we can't just sit there and wait for things to change. Do you mean we have to do something? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, I said this is a was a better book because it took so long to write. When I first started talking about Hell in the Hallway, that was the only answer I knew is, well, do you just sort of wait for God to open a door? And there's so much more you can be doing in the meantime. Um, 
and it's, I don't mean you edge God out. E G O is ego, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but it's such a rich period of your life, and most people don't see that until they look back on it. But if you can be conscious of that going through it, okay, I'm in a period of transition. What's here for me? Show me the good. Uh, I just, I just think that's what our souls came to learn. Yeah. Well, I know you must have gone through a little bit of a hallway when you transitioned from being minister of of unity at in Wimberley, Texas, to now vice president of content and media strategy for unity. So you're thriving now. You have your own web, uh, sorry, radio show. We have just a few seconds left. Do you want to tell us about that? I do have a radio show. It's called Voices of Unity, and it is, it's a different format. I have a guest who comes for six or eight weeks in a row and oh. talks about their area of expertise, their body of work. And it's it's been really interesting. Some are unity ministers, some are not. Uh, we're talking right now to a life coach about how to live your dreams. Uh, the previous series was about science and spirituality. And so it's just going all kinds of interesting places. It's live at 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, but of course it's recorded so you can listen anytime. All right. Well, it's been a joy listening to you today, Ellen. Thank you so much for showing us uh, the way out of the hallway, but not to hurry to mine it for the gifts that it has for all of us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.